What's up, True Sports family? Thank you so much for joining us again for another awesome episode. You're about to hear Matt Choi talk about all things personal branding. He's done an awesome job of building his own personal brand, of monetizing his passions. He'll talk a little bit about that um, and really share some pearls of how to build a following and how to really chase your dreams. And, and he's done an outstanding job of it. And we also get towards some of, some of his clinical side, which is the accomplishments of transforming his athleticism from an explosive anaerobic athlete all the way to completing ultra marathons, really being uh, an anaerobic animal. So without further ado, enjoy the conversation with Matt Choi. Welcome back to the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast. We got Matt Choi with us, who is a ball of energy. I feel like we just did an entire podcast before I even hit record. Um, I will make it a habit uh, for those of you watching to have more bald guests on. Unfortunately, we have Matt Choi today who looks fresh with an outstanding head of hair. Um, and he's going to bring an really an awesome perspective to the sports PT world, to the fitness world, because he lives so well in this digital space. So I'm really excited to learn about that and hear about that and hear how we could be doing it better at True Sports PT, how sports physical therapists across the country maybe could be doing this better. Uh, yeah. I look forward to learning that. So as we get rolling, tell us, Matt, how you would describe Matt Choi. One, thank you so much for having me here, man. It's super fun. And I think our energies are just bouncing back and forth from each other. But um, I would best describe myself as someone who has developed himself into a lifelong learner. And I think that's a big part of who I am as a person. I think I can go into a lot of my traits and qualities that, I, that make me who I am. But I think, you know, above all else, I'm a lifelong learner and I haven't always been that way. And I think it's why I want to start off even just kind of speak on that now, like, I think when I was playing college football and like my whole like childhood, giving you guys a little context has been around football and sports specifically. And I earned a college scholarship and I did all the things of being that student athlete. But for a long time, I never stepped out of my comfort to actually dedicate learning as like a big part of who I am as a person. And it wasn't until I got done with football after I kind of lost my identity as like that athlete um, that I really started to dive deeper into you know, furthering my education just as a human, right? I think so many times after we are done with college, after the textbooks are done in front of us, like how many people actually spend the time to continue their learning? And that's been a big part of my journey in the marketing space, in the fitness space, in in my space, just as like learning more about who I am as a person. But I would say Matt Choi is a lifelong learner. Love that. That's a hell of a description and and a tall order to certainly live up to, um, but, but a great description. I think I've learned that if you're continuing to work on yourself and coming from a place of humility, that's gonna just lead you to one, uh, attract people to wanting to be around you. I think that's such an endearing quality um, that people wanna be around. So that's probably why you've, one of the reasons you've developed this unbelievable following is that you come from it, from a place of, hey, I, Matt Choi, I'm trying to get better. So that, that definitely lands with me. Walk me through uh, your professional history. How yeah. you got to where you are. Hell yeah. So after I was done with college football, I graduated a business marketing and management degree. And just like many kids when they're 22, 23, however old you are at that age, you know, you're trying to figure out what's the next step. I didn't have like a fit. I, I wasn't studying to be a lawyer or physical therapist or doctor. So there wasn't this like planned blueprint of like what's going to be next for me over the next eight to 10 years. So for me, it was just like the next thing was get a job. So I worked corporate America. I worked for this company called Shredit and I did a lot of different jobs at this position. I did management. I did operations. I worked in sales. So I got like a, like a three angle approach of like business as a whole from a corporate company. But after about a year and a half of working there, I, I decided to then shift out of that job and kind of go more into a passion project. Like I went fully into personal training and like content development. And at that time I moved back home. It was a big slice of humble pie to move back at home at 24 years old. And it's something that not many people really want to do at that age, but it actually was a big stepping stone in my career. But I got into personal training at that time. I like Yoni, I didn't even have a NASM CPT. I was just using my knowledge and education as a practitioner from playing football and then helping other younger kids with the same exact things that I was doing for college. But as during that time, I was 
continuing to make videos and continuing my learning as a personal trainer. So I would actually intern at Rehab to Perform. And then I would intern under Coach Plez up at Mad Fitness just so I can learn around people that are doing the thing that I was trying to do. Physical therapists have a, a such amount of knowledge that if you're a personal trainer and you're listening to this right now, I highly recommend find a local PT that you can shadow once a week or once every two weeks because they have so much of that book knowledge in addition to then applying it for certain injuries or how to program and all the things that PTs know. At the same time, my experience of actually learning under a performance trainer with Coach Plez was by far an experience that really catapulted my athleticism, but also my ability to work with people and coach. So that was like kind of like my grassroots start. And with a lot of that, during those times, like no one was really following my journey. I had maybe a thousand followers on Instagram, but I was just sharing like what I was trying to do. And that's kind of been the jumpstart of all of this. And fast forward two, three, two and a half, three years later to where I sit now, I've actually then been able to turn this online business into what I do full time. And I don't really train people in person anymore. A lot of my business is all online. And so you're doing coaching, remote coaching. Tell me exactly how you're generating an income now. Yeah, so I do remote coaching now. In addition to, I have brand partnerships where I work with brands to make videos. And as simple as that sounds, like obviously the world is going to very uh, a lot of short form content, specifically th these big brands. And a lot of big brands have CMOs that are very, very old school, that are very conventional, that they're still pushing money in TV ads and billboards and all those things. But there's a new way to market what you do. And if you're not on the platforms that have the most organic reach or that can get you the most exposure, then at some point, someone in your industry will be on those platforms and they'll take some market share, right? It's not like your whole business is going to be destroyed because you're not on social media, but the people that end up committing to those things and investing time and assets into building a social following, which in this scenario, I would say personal brand, the best way to describe it is it's your reputation. For sure, for sure. Yeah, and and why wouldn't you want to invest everything you killed into your reputation? We are only our reputation. So that that makes total sense. Um, it's amazing, just backing up a little bit, uh, when, when you talk about CMOs in larger companies, chief marketing officers, they, they get this massive budget and they just have to spend it. And I feel like that, just the fact that that exists is what keeps these TV ads progressing. One thing I learned in my entrepreneurial journey is that doesn't work for the here and now or for sure like in the market you're trying to develop uber local like you have to really understand your market before you say here's how i'm going to attack marketing to them and i think that's what you've done really well is hey your market lives online right my market is the prep school the collegiate the professional athlete they live online i think it's hard to make a case who doesn't um, maybe, maybe, you know, the geriatrics, maybe the, the elderly. And like, if, if that's your model, great. Maybe you plunk down a couple bucks, like on a TV ad, you know, but, but so much, especially in the sports world is younger living online. That's where you got to spend your time and it doesn't have to be paid. It's creating great content. Just like you're, you're kind of pointing out, Matt, would that be right? hundred percent, man. I think the organic opportunities for specifically small business to medium sized business is actually the best strategy. Like if you're a small or medium sized business, you can't operate how big organizations operate because it's a losing battle. You don't to exactly what you said, Yoni, you don't have the budget of a Coca-Cola of a, um, of anyone in your industry, right? Like a pivot or whoever it is that's like kind of more corporate. So you have to act as if you are a small or medium sized business. And the best way to do that is utilizing organic content. Because if you use the platforms that give you that exposure, that reach, that's your funnel. That's your lead in, right? Like you want new customers, you want new eyes, you want to grow your email list. Well, if you grow online and it gives you a better opportunity to build that and then use that platform to then build your actual business. Yeah, I love that. You've been exceedingly nimble with the way you've marketed yourself. That's something that's a strength to the startup world, to the startup nation, right? Like we're able to maneuver around the pivots of the world or these larger like stodgy practices or, you know, if, if you're, um, you know, if you're 
a uh, let's call it like a fitness startup, right? Like you're able to better position yourself maybe than even like the Nikes of the world because they're just these albatrosses that are monsters and there's so many uh, moving parts in there. But you, Matt Choi, you could be nimble and you can craft your message beautifully because it's right now it's just you, right? Yeah. 100%. And it's, I think it's like, uh, it's why when you're an entrepreneur, I think it's, it actually benefits you sometimes to stay private because then you don't have to, you don't have to respond to shareholders. Or you don't have to, you know, act business wise to like, to, to appease someone, to appease yeah. the numbers. Right. And I think to your point, Yoni, like in my space specifically, if you're a creator or you're building something online, like you are, it's, you're the judge and the jury. Right. You get to dictate kind of how you move and how you want to maneuver your business. So it is uh, it, it's almost like an Achilles heel. It's a it's a it's a strength. And also it could be a curse. Yeah, absolutely. So much of it is being self-aware. I think that has a lot mm. to do with what you were saying, being a, a life learner. Um, one thing that that you mentioned that that really uh, opened my eyes a bit was when you were talking about you move home a little bit dose of reality, certainly a dose of humility can be a humbling experience. Because maybe you know you didn't um, like hockey stick your way straight up, but you took in a, a personal account to say, "Hey, what do I know? What don't I know? Where do I get better?" And you find the pleasures of the world, mm -hmm. who who's just an outstanding speed coach, and you didn't even have a certification, dude. Even if you had a certification, you wouldn't have known crap. And I say that as a guy who has a doctorate of physical therapy, because when I came out of school, I didn't know crap. And I promise you, Matt, yesterday. I hopefully don't know as much as I know today, having had this conversation with Matt Choi, right? So knowing where you are and how you continue to get better is so essential. So the advice that comes out of that, listening listening to, to you talk about it is always, always figure out what am I learning today that I didn't know yesterday? And then you've done an awesome job of finding different platforms to say, hey, here's what I learned. Maybe you guys could use this, maybe you couldn't, but here's what I just learned. So the next piece of that is, what platforms would you say are most important? I would say as many as possible. <laughs> um, and I think we all live in this game of like, or, right? Like Instagram or TikTok, Instagram or LinkedIn, right? And I think everyone should be thinking and. It's all of it. As much as you, as much as you have the bandwidth for, that's as much as you should push out. Right now, it's easier to be on a lot of these platforms because they're copying each other. Everyone wants to be like TikTok, right? Everyone wants this short form 30 to 90 second videos where you're grabbing someone's attention and giving them value to then extract something in return, whether it's a follow or whether it's potentially a customer, whatever it is. But I would say for most people listening to this and any business, you want to be everywhere because on TikTok, you might get that young athlete that's dealing with that hammy injury or that ankle injury, right? Or if you're on Instagram or Facebook, you might get, you might get that middle of the pack you know, business professional that's leisurely watching, um, they're, they're leisurely scrolling as they're watching their TV, right? And then if you're on LinkedIn, like you could go directly to business consumer of like, hey, are you someone that slouches all day that sits at your desk and your freaking back is super sore? You can hyper get super specific with who you target on LinkedIn. So I think for everyone, it's understanding who's your end consumer and how can you best communicate a message to then target them? Right. And you can do this on every platform in very, very different ways. But the positive is that because everyone's copying what TikTok is doing, you can seemingly put the same video on TikTok and post it on Instagram, post it on YouTube shorts, post it on LinkedIn and post it on Facebook reels where you can use one video across five different platforms. And that's how you can like basically upload a video on every single platform. And like I always tell people like, yo, post one video a day on every single platform. They're like, Matt, I don't have the time to post five videos. And if you do what I just said of using the same asset and like basically outlaying it on multiple platforms, that is the best strategy to get yourself more organic reach and more exposure. Where did you learn all this stuff? Dude, a lot of this, that's a great question. A lot of this has just been online through the internet. I listen and I consume so much Gary V like it's my job. Like people ask me, who's your mentor? I say, it's Gary V. I, I, I've only met Gary a couple times. I actually have, uh, you know, exchanged some conversations with him, but so much of this information is no secret. There's nothing I will say today that's brand new that Matt Choi made up, right? It's all of this is already out on the internet right now. I think what I've done a great job of, Yoni, is actually putting it into practice. 
a lot of people read a book, they listen to a podcast, they get the information. Very few people do something about it. And I think over my past three and a half years of making content every single day, dude, when no one was watching my stuff, I still had this energy. I still had this fire, right? And I knew that at some point someone will watch it. And I think for anyone, if you're patient enough on your process or whatever you're trying to do in this world, at some point you will catch a break. And that's kind of been my journey. Love it. Tell me about where that fire comes from. Cause holy cow, you got a lot of fire. I appreciate it, dude. I think um, really it comes from a place of not fully maximizing who I was as a human. And I really do. This football story for me is my whole life, man. Like I dedicated everything I could to, to football and I got a lot back, man. I got a lot from football, earned a college scholarship and all those things. But I've realized that at some point there's a cap for that passion project for me. Like it capped me out at 23 years old. I didn't go get a chance to play in the NFL. I had to sh throw my cleats away just like every, every, just like most college athletes. You have to figure out what you want to do next with the next 60, 70 years of your life. And as I started to peel back that onion, I realized I'm like, hold on. Why am I putting myself in a box? Why am I just a football player? Is that all I am? Is that all I, that, that God put me on this earth for? And I started realizing, I'm like, why am I limiting myself on what I can do in this world? And I easily could have stayed at that corporate job and moved up the ladder and, you know, in a couple of years, maybe been a VP or in the C-suite or whatever. But I don't think I would have found passion in just getting by, just staying comfortable, playing on quote unquote defense. And I think a lot of my journey has been one to your point about self-awareness. It's about understanding, you know, who I am as a person and like what I can achieve on this earth. And I think through a lot of different things, once I got done with football, you know, I kind of went through my own little like mental depression of like, damn, like that loss of identity. And as I started to listen to different entrepreneurs and different people that were winning in their space of business or lifestyle or whatever it is, I realized that the human potential is, is all in our own mind. You know, whatever you think you can do, it's, it's all in your own mind. Whatever you think you can or you can't do is in between your own ears. And if you're able to change that framework and if you're able to download a different software, you can pretty much do anything in this world that you want. And once I saw that opening and that awakening, I was like, oh, shit. Like this translates to relationships, to business, to fitness, to lifestyle, to mindset, to everything that we touch in this world. Every human is multifaceted. You're more than just a PT. I know it. you're probably your father, your husband, your brother, your X, Y, and Z. We have all of these roles and tasks that we live by, but so many people just put yourself in a box. So I'm just a physical therapist. I'm just a lawyer. No, you're not. And like, I did that to myself. So for so many years, and I will not do that again, moving forward. And Love people it. look at me as just like a runner. And I'm like, dude, I'm more than a runner. You see me as a runner now. Yes. But like, obviously, as humans, we're so much more than just quote unquote what we do. Yeah. I love that. I love your your phrase. We need to start thinking and not or, but and. Um, I also love your phrase. We are not just. And I think it should stop there. I think we need to get rid of this word just um, because I think that does. It pigeonholes you. It's like... Um, when I, when I give home exercises to a patient and they come back in, I'm like, Hey, did you do that? Like, yeah, I've been, you know, I've been doing the little exercise. I'm like, eh, don't call it little. Yeah. It's massive. It's so goddamn important. What do you think? I'm wasting your time and my time by giving this exercise. It's the ticket to you achieving your goals. It's the same thing with just, you're not just a runner. You're not just a personal brand. You're so many, you're an amalgamation of all of these skills and you're providing just awesome education because you're including all of these skills. One of the things that in doing a little bit of research for this pod that I loved was you described yourself as pushing yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And I want to hear from you. What does that mean that you are pushing your body spiritually? I think, you know, what I think about first, Shoni, is like everyone has their own level of faith in something. Right. And if you look up what the definition of faith is, it's believing something that you can't see. Right. And it's it could be fairy dust. It could be God. It could be a holy figure. It could be the Big Bang Theory, whatever someone might believe in. But I think for me, working on that spirituality part is a mixture of a couple different things. It could be as simple as like my practitionership of uh, doing meditation every day in the morning 
where I don't touch my phone at all the first 25, 30 minutes of the day because it's a big intention for me because I'm on the phone and devices so much that I need that little time in the morning where I have zero distractions in the world. It's so easy to scroll through Instagram and DMs and messages and emails the first thing in the morning, but you know, I'm sure you've done studies and there's so much research now that the cortisol happens in your brain as you're trying to really dive into this screen. Sure. It's, it's not, it's not the, it's not the best practice early in the morning. So even for some, that's something tactical, but I think spiritually, just in general, I think as humans, we're all looking for like, kind of like that belief system. And honestly, for me, sometimes it happens when I'm doing physical challenges. Sometimes my spirituality push is happening in those moments as well. When I was on my hundred mile race, I was not just taxing myself physically and mentally, but there are some internal beliefs as well. There's some thoughts of doubt and uncertainty that you're facing. And anytime you're in that essence of the unknown, I feel like you're pushing your spiritual limit because you have to have that inner belief, right? And it's bigger than just the mindset. It's bigger than the physical aspect. I think anytime that you're really in a challenge or digging deep in something, you start to work on that spirituality side. And, you know, I, I grew up going to church. I grew up doing those things because my grandma was so heavily invested into that community. And then they trickled down to my mom and then, you know, my, my aunts and uncles and things of that sort. But there became a point where my mom didn't force me and my brother to go to church anymore because like there was like, you know, there's, there's a lot of drama in any industry and in anything that you do. Right. And yeah. it's just like period. Right. Um, and she had some bad experiences and, and she didn't really foster us. Like she didn't encourage us to go all the time. But me and my brother had to kind of work on our own faith in, in, in our own way. And I think it's different for every single person. Like there's no right way to, to pra practice faith, right? I think it's just something that if it's important to you, you find aspects of your life to maybe dedicate a couple minutes here and there. But I would say the two things are, you know, doing my dedication and med meditation practices in addition to, dude, when I'm in that, when I'm in that ringer, when I'm in the unknown, sometimes those moments are the, the, the most clear for me. That's that's really powerful. Um, you know, you talk about religion. Uh, truth is, you, when you talk about your entrepreneurial journey, what I've heard from you is just so much about self-control, humility, self-realization. Then I ask you a question about spirituality, and you're talking about meditation and dedication and overcoming the trials that you put yourself in. Dude, that like that is the crux of a religion when it's well played everything you just kind of laid out should be you know synonymous with all of these different types of religion it's just about like pulling out the best parts of them um owning them embodying them and that sounds like it's a big piece of what's taking you to this to this high level it's pretty powerful yoni i could not agree more and you know what the funniest thing is, is like if you just look at history if you open up a Bible and you look at the actual like theories and the ideologies that are in that Bible, it's very similar to the biggest entrepreneurs, the most successful people in the world, the belief system, it overlaps so much. And I never try to push religion on anyone because like it's just like politics. It's like it's your own thing. Make it your own. But to your point, Yoni, 1000%, the more that I actually listen to different pastors that were able to preach a message that hit the younger demographic in addition to me learning from some of my favorite entrepreneurs, Yoni, so much of the belief systems overlap. Patience, curiosity, self-discipline, accountability. These are not sexy traits, but it's actually the ingredients to build this port, like to build something powerful. Yeah, I, I just wish uh, like religion was taught a little bit more like this and with a little bit <laughs> less guilt, right? Like, wouldn't that be like- It would be an interesting thing. Guilt, yeah. Can you imagine Judaism without guilt? I can't, but, but we should, we should imagine that. Okay. You're right. Enough about religion. Um, but fascinating nonetheless. Um, when you talk about the pastors that you listen to, mm -hmm. um, and Gary V being one of your business pastors, anyone else on that list, who else are you, who else are you like, Hey, I got to listen to their pod. It's going to help me with building my own personal brand. Yeah. I mean, it's a mixture and I, I try to pull from a lot of different directions just because like I said, the first thing I said, like being a lifelong learner, it's important to kind of get different thoughts, right? So I would say this, um, a, biz a business coach or a mindset coach I like to listen to is Jim Quick. I'm a super big fan of Jim Quick. He has this book called Limitless and has one of my favorite quotes ever of the only limits you have are the ones you believe in. Love I love that quote. So I, I, I'm, he's someone that helps me with like kind of neuro, neuro uh, plasticity, things of that sort. 
Um, Andrew Huberman is a great one just in like the neurospace as well. Um, Jay Shetty, who wrote the book Live Like a Monk, more on the spirituality side once again, Yoni. That's also something where listening to him and how he thinks about life and practices everyday stuff is a big spirituality part for me as well. Then there's guys like Jesse Itzler, who I just really admire his ability as an entrepreneur, as a husband, as a runner, as an athlete, just down the list. He's just a really quality human. Um, and then obviously I'd be lying, like guys like David Goggins and Joe Rogan. Like I love pulling things from different people, right? It's like, it's how do you make a great piece, like a great food? A great recipe is ingredients from all these different things. If you just put salt and pepper, like it, it'll get the job done. It's solid. But putting that cayenne pepper, putting onions and, and like all these different things that make a recipe really good is how I treat uh, my learnings. It's I want to get the knowledge and information from the best people in the world at what they do and make it my own. I don't need to copy it. I don't need to mirror it, but I'm going to sprinkle it in just like any, uh, any quality ingredients. That's really awesome. Um, it, it sounds like you've made awesome headway in terms of even developing relationships relationships with some of these leaders you just mentioned. How did you get to meet Gary Vee? Oh my God, I love this. And, and let me tell you, yeah, let me tell you why I ask because there's, I know, I don't know the answer to this, but there's gonna be some bit of knowledge that a sports PT who's trying to chase down whoever, an athlete, a referral source, can glean from your answer. Go. 100%, Yoni. Um, one, I had this manifestation in my own mind that like all these people that I look up to that I'm able to now sit at this table with, like at one point, it was all just a dream, Yoni. It was just this fairy dust, pixie dust of just like this thought. But I knew in my heart that if I actually stay committed to doing this, at some point, I will have a seat with them. So to answer your direct question, obviously, I consumed a lot of Gary Vee. Like that's just kind of been my journey. And I was in LA last year for the Super Bowl and Gary was also there. He put on his Twitter, he said, Hey, I'm having a secret wine party at this bar downtown. And I was told my friends I was with, I'm like, yo, I don't care what we're doing, but tonight we're going to go to this bar and we're going to go say what's up to Gary. And they were all like, yeah, let's go. We go down there and obviously it's a madhouse. Everyone wants Gary's attention. Like, you know, it's just like, it's, it's, it is what it is. Um, we get to this bar. And Gary was actually on the second floor of it. And I was at the, I was on the first floor and I was like right under the staircase and he starts coming down and everyone starts to go crazy, pulls out their phone. Everyone's like, yo, I want my shot with Gary. And you know, that was the very first interaction. I actually had a chance to, I, I chatted with him just for about like maybe 90 seconds. It's super quick. Everyone, there's like a crowd of people all right there. And I asked him, you know, it's funny. I didn't know what I really wanted to ask him because I felt like I consumed so much of his content that I already knew what he would tell me. And at that time, I had just moved to Austin, Texas. So I just was like, Gary, I'm in a new city. What are your thoughts? Austin, you know, how, like, what, what should I do next? And he's like, Matt, you already know, like, just network your ass off, get in the circle with the right people, talk with the right people, handshake the right people, put yourself out there, be positive. All the things that Gary preaches, I did. And to your point, I've now been able to stay here in Austin in a year. It's been an awesome decision. I've actually now sat at the table with a lot of the people that I looked up to. So from that conversation, I took a picture with Gary, posted on my Instagram, boom. I never thought he would, he, he didn't follow me. Nothing else happened from that moment. But I ended up going to VCon, which is his conference for NFTs in um, April. It was at, it was in Minneapolis. So I had another opportunity just to kind of be in his energy and his circle and his demographic, whatever. But I actually didn't have a chance to talk to him at that convention. Fast forward, New York City Marathon I actually got into the marathon because his right-hand man, Nick Dio, who's the VP of relationships for Gary V, was raising money for leukemia. And obviously, I'm a marathon runner, and I love the energy of races. So I told him, I said, yo, I'll, come, I'll help fundraise money for you. So I raised like $4,000. We had one of the largest fundraising groups out of the whole New York City marathon. And... From that moment, I created a shit ton of New York City content, right? And me and Nick hit it off, just had a really good vibe. Um, the day after the marathon, I get put into a group chat with Gary V and Yoni. I was so clueless, I didn't even realize that Gary was in this group chat. One of my buddies put us in a group chat. There's five people, a couple people's numbers I didn't have. So I'm like, oh, who the hell is this? Long story short, I put a message in and I'm like, I knew some of the people, so I was like, hey, if you're in this group chat, you got to be a good human. Love you guys all. People started chat chirping away, and then I realized someone kept saying, Gary, Gary, Gary. And then Gary ended up taking the screenshot of that picture I took with him in L.A. and put it into the group chat. 
Wow. And I'm like, that's fucking strange. Why, why is he doing that? I'm like, you know, I didn't even put two and two together. Um, but it was just so funny how that organically just happened. Right. And then kind of that, that kind of just simmered down. Nothing really played out. I didn't get a chance to meet him, but about four weeks ago, right before Christmas, Gary DM me, he said, Matt, keep pushing happy holidays. That's it. Just like it's everywhere. Just, just that little motivation of just like, yo, I don't really need the validation from external things, but seeing that and just like someone that I really admire acknowledging maybe some of the things I'm doing well, just to send me that message. It didn't mean a lot. And I just was like, Gary, I really appreciate that. I was like, next time I'm in New York, I would love to get five minutes with you. And it was just that, you know, but I say that to say the people that you guys want to talk to, that you want to work with, that you want as clients, they're right there. You can shoot them a message. There's nothing stopping you. If you have an Instagram account to send that message to the athlete on the Washington commanders, someone on the Washington wizards, will they respond? Maybe, maybe not, but you're shooting your shot. And I think for anyone having that opportunity is just a blessing itself. 20 years ago, you would never have a shot at messaging the person that you really want to work with or work for. So even you having that opportunity is the game. So Social media has created this opportunity where most people, celebrity or not, manage their DMs and their direct account. Very few people are having like a whole team manage their entire page, but most people are going to read the messages. So I would say if you're listening to this and you want to reach out to someone that's crazy out of your sphere of influence or sphere of connections, just try it. Yeah, I love it. Just try it. Um, it reminds me of Tim Grover's story, right? He, he was a strength coach for yep. Jordan and then Kobe. Um, and I think he sent a handwritten letter to everyone on the Bulls roster. And the, like the only one who opened it and was interested in lifting was Jordan. So kind of lucky, obviously took hustle to do that. Just like you, though, Matt, he he had to be awesome at what he did. And that takes hustle, right? So he had to be a great trainer once he gets yep. that shot with Jordan. I, I think like that's the lesson with your interaction with Gary V. Like you had the hustle, you created those videos when no one was watching so that Gary would have a little taste of what you were doing. At least it's the same thing with the sports PT. When, when that NFL athlete gets back to you or you get a referral or someone just shows up in your office, you better be Right. awesome at rehab like you, you you can't fake that um i have a relative who's a very successful physical therapist um and when i was in grad school i used to hound him like uh how do i how do i start my own business how how, how do you run your own business how do you like ask him all this these business questions and finally he's like shut up and become a really good pt and i'm like okay yeah like I wanted to kick him in the head when he said that, but he was right. Like, like he was right. You, you gotta, you gotta be awesome at your crap before you start uh, so that you can set yourself up for the success. Um, I think that's, that's, that's a really wise lesson. Now, at, now you met Gary V. Now you're hanging out at the table with, with all of these influencers um, and, and you have these partnerships with these big national brands, right? And, and I see them listed on your website and it's, it's awesome to see, like you have the Nikes, you have the Adidas and you have the Hoka's. What do you do with them? What does that mean? First of all, how'd you get them? Mm -hmm. And then what does a partnership mean? Amazing. Um, one, a lot of them came through the funnel of organic content. So just like our power conversation earlier, right? So for someone like in my space, it would be very similar to like, I make content so that big brands can see my content and then want to work with me. For PT, you might make content so that the end consumer of a client sees you doing your job so well that they want to work with you, right? So that's kind of the flow of it. I made a video about running. Then that, that those videos do well. So every running brand is like, oh, I want to work with that creator because his ability to communicate, his ability to talk about the brand message and all those things, right? And working with as a working with brands there's multiple ways to work with them sometimes it's just a one-off deal where adidas comes up to matt and says matt we'll send you this pair of shoe can you do a review on it awesome let's do it i have to just do a review boom we're, we're not really a partnership it's just a one-time kind of transaction right but as i further along my career i've realized i'm like hold on if i actually don't want to be like that influencer that just pushes out thirty thousand different products I want to push out products that are meaningful that I actually believe in, right? So when Nike and Dick Sporting Goods approached me, I was like, hey, 
you know, Nike's the brand that everyone wants to work with or work for, right? It's the biggest brand in the freaking world. Um, there's pros and cons to that, right? They have, there's pros of having a lot of budget, but there's cons of stricting some of your language or stricting some of you as a human, right? So there's always going to be pros and cons when you're taking a partnership opportunity, but you have to weigh out, you know, where you're at in life and what you need at that moment. So, you know, partnerships for me now, Yoni, are, are, are typically longer term stuff. You know, I want to now schedule out something that's six month contracts or nine month or 12 month contracts where I don't feel like I'm going to just be pigeonholed and I'm going to be like a one time transaction type of thing. But that then puts me in, I can not scarcity, but like I can't work. It, 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 there creates exclusivity where I can't work with an Under Armour or Adidas anymore, right? Because now if I sign with Nike, I represent Nike. So there's always gonna be pros and cons when you sign a partnership opportunity. But I think to answer your question, that's how it worked. So at first I had mostly one-off deals. Then as I kind of understood the game of pricing myself correctly and understanding how to negotiate and you know find deals and work through contracts and all those things, I've now developed this better opportunity where I can negotiate myself better and understand the terms and agreements and negotiate the things that will help me as a creator and also as a business. Um, and dude, that stuff's a lot of learning. There's not like a book that shows you how to be a creator because dude, this creator economy is so new. So it's something that it's still getting written as we speak, you know? Do you have a team around you that helps you with some of those things? You mentioned uh, negotiation, understanding your market value. How do you that? I actually don't, Yoni. And I, I, you know, it's, I'm glad I don't because I've been able to learn a lot of it on the fly. Um, you know, now I sit where people do want to work with me. I, there's people that are poaching me to be my manager and things of that sort. But I've done, uh, I pride myself on getting my hands dirty and I've done a good job of kind of doing the work. So I understand what's required of me. And the people I've talked to in my space that are older than me that have been around, I've asked them the same question, you know, like, dude, who, who manages your shit? And they're like, Matt, honestly, I had a manager, but I realized that they weren't really bringing me any deals or opportunities and they were closing all the deals themselves, but the manager still gets 20%. So a lot of them started realizing that they actually dropped their managers and end up just managing themselves. Um, obviously there's- That's the Lamar Jackson approach. A 1000%, yeah, right? <laughs> like if you, if you're, it's to your point of being a practitioner, right? I don't need to be the best accountant or the best lawyer or best all those things. But if I have a, a little bit of knowledge in it, I can speak their language at least. And then if I do want to hire someone, at least I understand what they're doing and what's required of, of what they're doing. Because if I'm going to pay them, I want to know that this work is actually the work that they're doing versus, oh, you got this deal. Now you just get 20%, even though I had to do all the talking and sell myself and use my energy as a human to sell them that I'm the person that they want to work with. So I think everyone's at a different point. If you're willing to stay patient and learn those things and build the network and community around you to help you, that's always a winning strategy. But if not, and you're just starting out, you know, having someone that can show you the ropes can maybe help you skip a couple steps if you don't want to be quote unquote patient. Yeah, for sure. Ironically, one of my biggest fears in opening my own practice in 2014 was um, tech. And, and I don't mean electronic medical records. I don't, I don't mean um, GPS wearables. I don't mean force plate <laughs> analysis. I mean, who the hell is going to connect my printer to my computer so that I can do whatever? And I mean, the first few weeks I had one patient. So I just remember sitting on the floor in my office trying to figure out how do I get the printer to talk to the <laughs> computer? And, and I, I'll tell you, that was like, I would say one of the highlights of this whole uh, private practice world when I figured that out and I realized, yeah, I could, I could keep doing this. And by the way, if you give me time, I could figure out anything to make this dream of true sports at the time work. Um, so I think learning all the nuances of your business is imperative. I also have found success learning some of the nuances. Like you said, though, finding the experts to fill in those gaps. You know, you get that contract, you're negotiating that contract. Have someone look at it who just does that, um, but be able to read it first yourself, but have the expert kind of look at it, right? Same thing with accounting, same yep. thing with finance, same thing with, with, with all strategy. Um, so I, I would encourage you to do both, right? I agree. Um, kind of see both. Okay, let's let's uh, shift gears a little bit because I've been told that you're not just a runner. 
you're not just an elite runner, but you know your crap around around the endeavor. So this is an audience of uh, sports physical therapists. They know a little bit, right, about uh, rehab and fitness. So you don't have to dumb anything down. I'm amazed watching or talking to a Division One wide receiver, right, at Monmouth, um, which to me is all things power, speed, anaerobic ability. Yep. Then I follow Matt Choi on Instagram, <laughs> and I'm like, this guy doesn't stop running, right? He Now he's an endurance freak. So how the hell did that happen? Um, during COVID, Yoni, I, you know, just like most people, I was in Clarksburg, Maryland at my mom's house. We all got shut down. I worked at, I was at Orange Theory training and, you know, job, I, I got laid off and every human was probably thinking like, damn, how am I going to continue my wellness or my health or whatever? Right. And, and some people weren't thinking that they just went to drinking and they just went to, you know, putting on extra pounds. Cause it's, I get it, man. COVID was a tough time, but it comes back to being that lifelong learner and just being curious. I started reading David Goggins' book, Can't Hurt Me. And it then, you know, triggered something in my mind. It first downloaded some software and it made me realize like, oh shoot, the human potential is really limitless if we believe that to be the case. But then the actual work, the practitionership had to put get put into place. To your point, Yoni, I started with my running doing the Murph challenge, which is one mile run, 100 push, uh, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, another mile. I did that 30 days in a row. You do it with a weight vest? You nut the bag first right two away, weeks, right away. The first two weeks, no weight vest. The, nice. the third week, I had a 10-pound weight vest. And then the fourth week, I had a 20-pound weight vest. Just if you think about progressive overload, I didn't want to crush my body just kind of just starting that challenge. Nonetheless, 60 miles by the end of the, by the, end of the month is what I accumulated that month. So after that was done, Yoni, then I did 2,000 jump ropes every day for 30, 30 days. Where are you pulling this stuff from? You're just like, I want to keep going? I just start. I, I was looking at different stuff on YouTube and people that were making ch these crazy challenges just to see if it can be done. And I just wanted to see if I could do it as well. But Yoni, you know, running is a plyometric single leg exercise and, and jump roping is by far one of the best ways to create elasticity in the Achilles and the soleus. It's a great exercise, not just for your heart, but for runners, for everyday humans. That Those two things, those two challenges accumulated a very strong kind of like base for me. But from there, I started to just ask myself, I put on Instagram one day, I'm like, how many miles should I go run? Four plus miles or just keep it at five miles or whatever it is. Everyone's like, yo, go run four plus miles. So that next day I ran six miles. Then the next day I, I did the same thing. They're like, yo, should I go further or should I just keep it the same? They're like, go further. So Yoni, next day I did eight miles. And slowly but surely, I just started to move the needle into what I thought my limitation was. And that's been my journey. If you, if you, someone was looking at my first marathon, which the first marathon I ever tried to do, Yoni, was a summer day in Maryland. I got a new pair of Nike Pegasus shoes and I said, you know what? This is a good idea. Let me go run a marathon with nothing, no nutrition, no hydration, not eating breakfast and starting at 830 in the morning on a Maryland humid summer day. I was not able to complete that marathon that day, Yoni. I got 18 miles and I got full body cramps in my quads, hamstrings, and I could not walk. And it was about 95 degrees. I called a friend. I was sitting on the Germantown Sportsplex area. I called a friend. I said, I need you to pick me up. I can't finish this marathon. So that right there, Yoni, was just me pushing my boundaries of like, if I could go 18 miles with nothing, what can I do if I actually prepared? So then the learning started to happen where now I started to listen to Steve Magnus, which is someone in the running space is a super knowledgeable guy, started to see Nick Bear, you know, pushing out more of his content about being a hybrid athlete. And I just started to flood my mind with knowledge. And then more importantly than all that, like I said earlier, is I started to put it into practice. I just started to do it. I'm like, all right, well, let me go get a gel. Let me actually do the proper hydration and nutrition and I felt better on my runs. I completed my first marathon on my 26th birthday. So a lot of these things don't just happen overnight. Someone sees me as a runner now. They, Yoni, they have no idea I play college football, that I have that ability, right? Everyone's like, oh, you're just an endurance guy. But I think I say this to say, as humans, we can change. Like you're physically, 
mentally you can change. Like our body and our minds are malleable. You can adapt it. So anything that you think that is like a limitation, if you actually work on that weakness or that limitation, watch it turn into a strength in a year or in two years or in three years. So that's been my journey. And now I've just gotten so addicted to this learning process that I do it in marketing. I do it in business. I do it in my life. I do it in fitness. I do it in mindset. And it just, it's, it's, it's almost become a big piece of just who I am as a human. So that's kind of how I've been able to accumulate all of those things and turn myself into this aerobic endurance athlete. I love it. Uh, not just an aerobic 100%. athlete. I love that. I love that. But an aerobic <laughs> athlete. Um, okay. So now I know you've completed hundred milers. You've obviously completed a number of marathons at very competitive and elite levels. What's the number one exercise you would recommend to keep yourself healthy? Mm, I love this. Um, if I were to say one exercise, I would say the rear foot elevated lunge, whether it's an isometric position, working the eccentric or the concentric movement of it, is a, just a great exercise for all athletes, specifically for runners. But Yoni, I would say plyo. That's a good answer. I like it, that answer. Right? I like good the answer. RFEs. They're good. But I think to, in totality, plyometrics as a whole is something that I really, really pride myself on spending a lot of time on doing. If you think about running, it's a plyometric activity, right? So being able to stay elastic, being able to stay bouncy has been a big part of my training. And obviously being a football guy, I've kind of kept a lot of my, I've kept some muscle. I've kept my strength and my explosiveness still. And I think it's been a big help just to stay healthy. Early on, dude, I dealt with a lot of foot and ankle injuries, plantar fasciitis, shin splints, a lot of the overuse stuff. And I think just the difference of training has helped me kind of remain healthier with all the freaking running I do. Yeah. So for those of you keeping score at home, that was two exercises for Matt Choi. Yeah. Um, even though I asked for one, but that's fine. Now, you make a great point. By the way, you've made it twice during this conversation, which is running is a series of plyometric activities, right? So this gets me rolling like crazy. It's uh, when I talk to to physical therapists that are either newly out of school or just haven't worked in the sports environment, they struggle so much wrapping their heads around exactly what you just said, which is if I, if running is a series of plyometric activities, why would I start my rehab progression with running and then box jumps versus an understanding of box jumps and then peeling back the onion of what is a good box jump? What's a bad box jump? By the way, what, what, um, what planes of motion am I moving in? How do I perfect that? How do I then add multiple planes of motion? How am I moving around the transverse plane? Uh, all of that world before we get to running, maybe not the transverse plane, but before we get to running is so imperative. If PTs would just listen to you, dude, we would know that. Like that, that's a, that's an awesome bit of advice. It just like led me down that tangent, but please God teach your athletes how to jump, how to land, how to accelerate and decelerate before we throw them just out to return to run. Cause you're going to get that overuse stuff. Like you said, it happens. It's, it's just, it's bound to happen. And honestly, Yoni, to your point, like, I think it's one of those things where I've been around a lot of really good PTs and just understanding like, Hey, like it, it's like that concept of like the, your training should support your hobby. Yeah. Exactly. Right. But so many people, they just train for the aesthetic because they, they want six pack or they want huge arms versus training for the functionality of what they're trying to do in the day to day lives. Or and they I do their hobby, right? Yeah. That that's like, that kills me. Like when I talk to endurance athletes and I'm like, what do you do for your lower body strength? And they're like, well, I run I'm like, no, <laughs> you, you, you need to work on strength so that you can run hundred percent. dude. And I think it's like, I, so do you know, you know, Kelly Starrett? Ugh, well, he's been on the pod. What a freaking <laughs> stud. Yeah. Yeah. So Kelly is a, a friend, but also we used to, we had him on part of me and Sean had him as part of our agency, um, as a client. So obviously I've been, you know, read his book, the supple leopard. I've read ready to run and a lot of good, just kind of knowledge in that sense. But I think, you know, he has, he's spot on with a lot of things he's talked about in ready to run. If you look at marathon runners that finish between four hours and eight hours, a lot of them are struggling to get to that finish line. Mechanics are awful. And, and you wonder why your body is torched after the marathon, right? And I'm all about durability and sustainability. I want to be able to run and do these challenges and do these things as long as possible, pain-free. 
And I think that part of my messaging needs to get clarified a little bit more where a lot of the things I do now around the gym, they look different. I'm not doing as much compound lifts as I used to do when I was playing football. Because if you think about even the movements of compound lifts, like when in running are both your feet just planted into the ground, right? And it's never done in that way, right? So if you can train single leg, if you can train unilaterally, like these are good things that are going to help you as athletes and help you as a runner. And that's kind of how I picture my training. A lot of it is just supporting the things I want to do in everyday life. Yeah, that that's awesome and really powerful. I think it's the elasticity, the the springiness, for lack of a better term. Like if you can train those and live on that energy system as opposed to living on your muscular system, um, I think that end of that marathon gets a lot smoother, gets a lot cleaner, right? Um, what's the one thing you wish sports PTs knew about treating ultra marathoners? Mm, I would say, I think ultra guys and ultra people in general, like they're definitely a mentally tough cr- a group of people, right? So I think maybe having an understanding that these people are going to operate a little bit differently than just your normal you know, patient that you might see is always going to be a good step. I've been around so many really good sports PTs where I think the first thing is like, like movement is actually the best form of the medication. I think that would be the biggest thing. Um, just cause now that I've been around, man, I've realized I'm like, shit, icing is like doing opposite positive things. Right. So it's just like those small nuances where when you're treating with ultra marathoners and just ultra athletes in general, like their tolerance is going to be higher for pain for a lot of things. So understanding that maybe you're able to give them a little bit more of a nuanced approach of recovery versus just kind of your textbook style of like just someone who's a little bit more sedentary. So I would think the mindset of it, in addition to the nuances of giving them a little bit more complex uh, movements for treatment. I love that. Um, I, I think that totally gets glossed over. It's like, the truth is the more and more athletes that I work with, we have to like take a textbook and just like burn our textbooks. Like no one fits this textbook world, right? Like when you talk about ultras and you talk about their pain tolerance, you have to be able to endure some type of pain to, to complete those, right? So let's think about that as a rehab specialist, giving them an intervention in order for it to be impactful. It's got to look different than what you would give to the anaerobic athlete, right? And, and I would flip it and say like on that anaerobic side, like when I'm working with NFL guys, the biggest difference for me is when I go to that dumbbell rack, I have to understand the actual strength that lives with inside these skeletons. It's, mm. it's far greater than mine, far greater than a textbook, right? Right. Grab the weight that's appropriate, right? Grab the rep count that's appropriate for your ultras. Um, make sure that you're matching the person who stands in front of you. hundred percent. You know, regardless, um, there, there's so many unbelievable things that, that you shared with, with me. Um, and hopefully, obviously, with the audience, what's the best way to find Matt Choi? Yeah, you guys can find me on Instagram, on TikTok, Matt Choi Six. I'm also on YouTube and Facebook and LinkedIn, just like Matthew Choi. If you just you just look that up. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty readily available on all the platforms. So what, however you want to consume it, long form, short form, more business professional. Um, I'm pretty much everywhere. I love that. Uh, the only thing that would have made that better would have been if you would have been like, yeah, I don't do social. <laughs> I'm good. I don't, I don't, per our conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, a, a wealth of knowledge. Thanks for the time. Thanks for joining us. I can't wait to do it again. Hell yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think we really made sports PTs just a little bit better today. So thank you, Matt. <laughs> thank you for having me, Yoni. Next time I'm in Maryland, we'll definitely link up too. Hell yeah. All yeah. right. See you guys. See ya.